So we spent a little time earlier this morning talking about the latest polling showing that some Canadians won't allow unvaccinated family members or friends to attend um, Christmas gatherings. And, and, and we sort of started talking about the division, right? And uh, the whole, <laughs> the climate that we're living in right now, um, which to me, uh, I think is as divided as I can remember. Um, you know, we've got protests over this and protests over that. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, the way that a government responds to a situation like this um, means a lot. According to our next guest, Ken Coates is the Canada Research Chair in Regional Innovation at the University of Saskatchewan. He joins us now. Ken, thanks so much for your time this morning. appreciate you joining us. Great to be with you completely. So we're going to be talking about protesting and how a government handles it, but just taking a look at the climate that we're in right now. I mean, it seems super heated to me, but historically, are we at a time where we're more divided than before? I mean, where does this sort of rank in terms of an angry citizenry? I think it's more intense in a whole variety of different fields. We've had other times, you know, the 1960s and all the protests about racial issues and women's rights issues and things of that sort go back in the 1970s over over separation and those kinds of possibilities. You know, it wasn't so long ago we had the, you know, the the 1% or the 99% movements and uh, protests against the, the G8 summits in Toronto, which were very violent and what have you. I think what's happening now is there's, there's more protests and they're more intense and they're more personal. And I think we're being challenged about uh, everything from how we use our automobiles and how we use energy and whether we have pipelines and whether we develop the oil and gas fields. And then we have indigenous rights and a whole bunch of other things on top of that. And the whole business of vaccines and vaccine mandates has added a nastiness that we haven't actually seen for quite a while. So I, I think it's, it's, you know, we've had times when it's been as intense, but nothing where it's been as sharp and as divisive as I think we're feeling right now. And why, I mean, everybody's got to protest for something, right? I mean, like you say, I mean, the list of things that's being protested right now, it's never ending. Oh, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, part of the problem is, is that when you, when you let protesters win, yeah. if, if uh, five people can go and sort of shut down a highway and they, they get attention to their issues and their concerns, everybody else says, well, my issue is as big as that one. And so the media gives a staggering amount of attention sometimes to very, very small protests. You know, 20 people show up and do something, and, and you know, the government doesn't do anything, or the yeah. police don't do anything, or the railway gets shut down for weeks or days on end. You know, we have to be really, really careful about this, because otherwise you're, you're taking the decision-making process away from the people who vote in elections where it properly belongs into the hands of radicalized minorities of one form or the other doesn't matter what side they're on or what issue they're on. We did not elect these people to make these decisions. And that's what happens with protests, is they become decision-making exercises in the absence of real government courage and determination. Now, protesting, I mean, it's a fine line for any government or any law enforcement agency to walk, because it's a key component of any functioning democracy. We welcome it, we embrace it, we encourage it. Even civil disobedience has a long history in, in, in our country. So... Where is that line? And um, it seems to me and it moves. That line isn't clearly defined. It depends on the cause sometimes. It depends on the people that are involved in the government of the day. It also depends on whether the government is mildly in favor of the protest or right. not. So, for example, when you had the anti-vaxxers sort of protesting in front of hospitals and closing on access to ambulances, the government immediately said, we're going to pass legislation, we're going to ban this, this is outrageous. If you have a case in Ferry Ferry Creek in British Columbia, 
where the protesters have been shutting down illegal, perfectly legal fog logging activity for months on end, or the what's what supporters who in Ontario shut down the, the, the CPR or CN rail line for a week or more at a time, and government doesn't do anything about it. And, you know, government is in favor of indigenous rights and environmental issues, so they let that go. But they're not in favor of the vaccinations, so they go after them. So right now, people don't know. They don't know what the government's going to stop and not stop. And that's where we have a real problem coming with knowing the constraints on protest and the limits on protest, and in fact, the effectiveness of protest. So how do we how do we make that better? I mean, we are a country of laws. That's what we always tell everybody. That's what we're telling China right now. Rule of law matters to us. Um, so do we just need to say this is the law, these are the rules, and everybody follows them, and they're not negotiable? Yeah, I think pretty much. I mean, in the sense that over time we'll define those kinds of things. Um, I don't think there's very many people who think that shutting down the main line of the railway for a week or so is completely acceptable for you know, particularly when it represents a tiny group of people who are in sympathy of somebody 3,000 miles away. I mean, that's ridiculous that the government didn't do something more about that sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have to realize that there's limits on what the police can do, that the police are required to act as though essentially they're live on television at every moment. Well, this is the thing, yeah. That's a a new standard, you know. Assume you're going to be live on television all the time. And if you're not, you know, if you're not behaving that way, you're going to get in trouble. So we have developments like the Wet'suwet'en situation recently where the police showed up with repeating rifles. And at that point, there's absolutely nothing that the protesters had done to suggest they were going to be violent or armed or likely to sort of come strike back at the police in any particular way. And actually, it ended up discrediting Canada internationally. You ended up having a whole bunch of headlines all around the world showing a very small number of unarmed protesters being sort of manhandled um, by police officers with with, with uh, automatic rifles. And Canada ended up losing its credibility in that particular case. So the, the police presence has to be commensurate with the situation, but those protests that are illegal have to be shut down. And the people, if they have more power to them, if they, they're willing to get arrested for their cause, then no problem. They go to court and they get sentenced to jail, well, no problem there either. That's the consequence. Right now, we kind of live in a consequence-free country. You know, yeah. where people are not being held responsible for their own actions. And I think the problem is is that we, we have to allow protests to, to flourish. We have to allow people to speak out. We need more people speaking out about more things. But there has to be a limit. They, they can't impose that will, and they can't change and force government to back down in any particular way like they're trying to do now. Are there any examples of the perfect protest? Has that ever happened where protesters get their point across, they get what they want out of their protest, and at the same time law and order is respected and everybody goes home thinking, hey, that went the way it's supposed to go? I mean, that's so, sort of not the way it works, is it? Well, it is actually, and here's, here's the interesting point. Um, I think one of the most effective protests we've seen in recent Canadian memory was actually I don't know more. And you'll remember, I don't know more, had more than 2,000 or 3,000 events across the country. The worst one was sort of something that stalled traffic for a couple of hours. Yeah. So the interventions were very mild. The vast majority were, were sort of round dances and peaceful celebrations. People gave their speeches and whatever. And you think, well, what were they after? People said, I don't know more, has no point. There's no particular agenda. I don't know more was about convincing Indigenous people to speak up. And since I don't know more, they've been doing this constantly in schools, high schools, universities, colleges, governments, politics, public affairs, business affairs, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know more was extremely, extremely successful in those sort of protests. And if you actually think back 
to the gay rights movement, they were also successful, not because they shut down the railways or things of that sort or interferes with other people's lives. It's because they their big protest was simply standing up in public and showing people who they were. Mm-hmm. That was their protest. And standing up and being that courageous was, in fact, a, an act of defiance and strength and great courage. So we have examples of how people actually make real effective change. The problem here is that we have an increasing number of groups who know they represent a tiny minority. Right. They're the extreme radical environmentalists who aren't really you know, interested in what the general public thinks. They've got their agenda. They want to shut things down. Some of them are absolute anarchists. They just like to see things mucked up. <laughs> they like to see you know, mess and, and chaos in the political realm. So those ones are quite fascinating uh, to sort of see. We have had successful protests. We can have more of them in the future. We can get this right, but we need governments to sort of act fairly decisively, not violently, and not outside the law themselves, and not in a way that brings disrepute onto their authority. But they have to be firm and clear. There are rules. We're going to follow the rules, and you have to you have to abide by the law. And I guess the risk, Ken, is if we don't sort of draw that line in the sand and say, okay, this has gone as far as it's going to go, it will continue to escalate until we get to a point where uh, we have absolute catastrophes on our hands. I have actually heard people say in dozens of different sectors now that they should follow the tactics of the Wet'suwet'en supporters who shut down the rail line and showed how they could bring the country to its knees. And absolutely, there's a real concern. We end up with a paralysis in, in, in government and a paralysis in policymaking and the, and the wishes of a small minority imposed on the majority. And that's not how democracy works. Ken, great discussion. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate you joining us. You're more than welcome. Take care. Ken Coates, who is the Canada Research Chair in Regional Innovation at the University of Saskatchewan. Kind of hard to argue with what Ken's saying, right? And I think you take a look at the number of different, I don't know, you want to call them causes, do you want to call them movements, whatever you want to call them, but reasons why people have been protesting, uh, and the list is many <laughs> over the past few years, right? There's one after another. And um, I think he's right in saying, okay, we, we, we respect the right to protest, and we respect the right for you to have your voices heard. But there are ways to do it. And when you cross the line, there will be consequences.